M A I N M U M U Main Menu Main Menu Welcome to Main Menu for January 16th, 2010. I'm Jamie Pauls. This week we visit with Mike Calvo and Ricky Inger about Serotech's new Build-A-Bundle subscription options. Then, Rick Harmon talks to us about the details of Windows 7. That's all coming up on this edition of Main Menu. This week on Main Menu, I'm joined by Mike Calvo, CEO of Serotech, and Ricky Inger of Serotech Corporation. And we are talking about an exciting new service that they have just launched this week. It's called Build a Bundle. And uh, Mike, why don't you go ahead and tell us what Build a Bundle is? Well, first of all, Jamie, thank you for having us. It's uh, it's a, a wonderful uh, program you're putting together here, and we, we thank you for the opportunity to to be on it and talk about what we consider to be um, a very exciting service. Build a bundle isn't exactly Serotech's uh, invention. It's been a it's been being done with cell phone companies, and it's it's been called the three play and a four play. Basically, when you have uh, your uh, your cable services and your internet services and your phone services all bundled up under one bill. Uh, and this is happening more with, as, uh, with cable companies and technology companies like AT&T that they offer phone service. They offer cell phone service. They offer long distance services. They offer cable, all of these different services. And people have been able to build a bundle of services and get a good price for them and turn them on and off at will uh, as they need them. Well, we thought, wow, wouldn't that be cool if we brought that to the adaptive technology industry? We, we're already the leader in, in cloud computing and in, and in uh, Web 2.0 type solutions where you can walk up to any computer anywhere on the planet and immediately have access to your entire Serotech offering through SA2Go, whether it's paid or free. So we figured the next logical step is, well, you know, what's, what's better than free? Well, really inexpensive. So we said, well, what's, what's the, 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 the place where, where people really can afford the technology, where it's a no-brainer to them, and it's something for us that we can stand from a, uh, you know, from a, numbers, uh, from a numbers point of view. And we settled on 995, and, and those who know Serotech's history know that our original offerings were at around 995, so we kind of come full circle and we really see this as a great play for people that are on the go, for people that may use our services from time to time. They they like our low prices um, on our on our uh, SAS solution, but they're not ready to make a four year commitment. They uh, they don't want everything we offer for their thirty nine ninety five no strings attached offering that we have. And and if these sound alien to the listeners, please visit our our uh, our page at serotech.com. And uh, you can read all about the different prices. But uh, there's definitely an opportunity here for people to kind of mix and match various services. Serotech's brought a lot of technologies to the table. Uh, we have remote access technology for your own home computer. We have remote access technology uh, to, uh, to other computers in the industry. That's been imitated by other players in our industry, but I remind your listeners that any other technology in the adaptive technology industry that's offering remote access is exclusively to their products. 
our remote access services offer uh, access to any computer uh, in the industry uh, that's running an adaptive technology, including the competitor's products. So that's a very important uh, uh, differentiation between our product and uh, what we consider to be a, a proprietary offering from our competitors. Um, when it comes to our our, uh, our offering of uh, content, some people may just want our content. Uh, some people may have a secondary computer that they want to add a license to, but they don't. You know, they don't. They don't want to pay uh, three hundred ninety nine dollars, uh, and it may be a laptop or something. You know, there's a, a million different reasons why we believe that Build a Bundle is awesome. Uh, not the least of which is is the price. People that are on limited incomes, people that are on Social Security disability or Social Security income or or whatever, they can now have access to a computer that's a couple of steps above the free. See, SA2Go, while it's it's been used at home by a lot of folks, Jamie, SA2Go is not a home service. Uh, it's something that actually in a home network, SA2Go poses some serious challenges with uh, with firewalls and you know potentially faces some challenges with firewalls and things of that nature. That um, That just buying a seat for 10 bucks a month is going to resolve right away because you can install it on the local computer. If your internet's down, it doesn't matter. You can have access to your computer anyway. So having this minimum of a $10 option is really awesome for people who are on these limited incomes and sure they can afford, you know, um, a lunch somewhere or whatever. And, and we figure, well, what's the price of a relatively good lunch? And since we don't like fast food very much at, at Serotech, we're not into McDonald's and Burger King and, you know, selling people a burger for a buck. We figure, well, what's a good economical middle of the road, you know, not special occasion type restaurant where you're going to go and eat a meal? Well, it's 10 bucks. And that's kind of how we, we based it. And uh, it's been very successful. We've actually had hundreds of new customers in the last few days, um, which has been one of the biggest rushes towards Serotech that I've seen in a long time uh, for a paid offering. Obviously, uh, within the first 45 days of sa to go we had over 4,000 registered users using it. Uh, at this point right now, uh, we've had several hundred uh, users that have added uh, the uh, build a bundle offering to their arsenal of of products that they've uh, uh, that they now use for their everyday computing, and that's really where we want to be. We don't care about being the number one. We just want to be uh, we want to be on your computer, and we want to be able to offer help where you need it. The only real need you have for a different type of screen reader. Uh, I mean, and, and, and we can name them. I mean, it's not against the law to name Jaws and Window Eyes as the as the undisputed. Uh, leaders in this industry as far as age, as far as uh, what used to be feature set. I think that, that Serotech has proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that it can compete on the levels that it competes with these products on an equal playing field. We've been able to, um, in many cases, surpass the features of our competitors, uh, the way that you work on the web, the way that we give, we provide portability, the way that we provide um, software maintenance, the way we provide updates. We've far surpassed both of those products in the way that they work. I think that those products have a place. They have a very important place when it comes to education, when it comes to uh, when it comes to job readiness and, and the the flexibility that both the products, Window Eyes in particular, with its new scripting language, I think is dynamic for job applications. That's not where we want to be. We are not interested 
in any way, shape, or form in being the workplace or education place leader. That's not what we want. We know that people, whether they work or not, they need computers every day of their life. So our job at Serotech is to make sure that those computers are accessible for a very accessible price. And that's what we've done with our, with our uh, system access products is make sure that anybody, whether they're working or not, whether they're going to school or not, can afford um, accessibility because accessibility, we believe, is a fundamental right of existence for a blind person anywhere on the planet. And uh, as it's been proven also, we've had uh, dozens of folks from Europe, and I'm not talking about just from, you know, from Western Europe. I'm talking about from Eastern Europe, sign up for the service in the last couple of weeks because it's very economical and uh, and it gives them a level of accessibility. And as we roll out various languages in the uh, in the upcoming uh, year, you're going to start seeing that we're going to start getting a lot more international customers. And that's really where we are. You know, the only place that we compete with other screen readers, I believe, is uh, is on the ability to customize. We, we don't apologize for it. We uh, at one point we looked at doing scripting. We saw that uh, that window eyes did a fantastic job. We looked at what Jaws was what Freedom was doing. We said that needs an overhaul. We took it upon ourselves to look into doing that overhaul because we didn't believe that the that the language, uh, the JAWS scripting language was powerful enough for the applications that were coming. We saw that, that uh, GW did it and we said, well, why are we going to do that? Why are we going to reinvent the wheel? It's about providing people access, not, you know, beating the crap out of each other to see who, you know, who can sell more screen readers. If we can all sell to the market, the market of blind people worldwide is hundreds of millions of blind people. Believe me, neither one of us companies have hundreds of millions or even a million customers. There's still so much ground to be gained in this market that there's there's room here for serious coopetition and as far as i'm i'm looking forward i look forward to uh not only uh endorsing people's uh, uh you know endorsing for example gw micro products but pointing people at them we we think it's a it's a, it's a great thing that they've done so it, it, while we compete uh, on one level, we congratulate them on the other. We're excited about uh, providing, you know, a certain level of access to our consumer that I don't believe that GW Micro's products or Freedom Scientific's pro- products offer to their consumer, not only based on price point, but also feature set. Excellent. Now, I personally built a bundle this week, and I'll tell you my basic experience, which was very positive. Um, I opted for the Samnet content and for 9.95 a month um I was able to sign up for that uh SA mobile content uh plus a $25 one-time setup fee. I think we'll let Ricky if she will go ahead and talk to us because some of our listeners may actually not be that familiar with what Samnet is and what it has to offer. Samnet has a huge variety of content and it's something that I could talk about for days and days and that you could spend days and days exploring and still not have covered everything. Uh, but SAMnet is basically a community and it's a place that people can can go to, uh, to post to forums to participate in voice chat, uh, things like that. And it's also a place that uh, people can go to to see what's happening in the world. You have local news and international news all gathered together in one place. Uh, you have radio stations from all over the world, and uh, that includes old-time radio and, again, uh, just stations that uh, are 
produced by and or for blind people and stations that are just playing great music and so on. Uh, there are movies. Uh, a lot of people really love the movies and the TV shows that are available uh, not only from a computer, but uh, those bits of content can be transferred to portable devices as well, like the Victor Reader Stream or the Plex Talk Pocket, uh, Braille Plus, and Icon. All of this content that I've mentioned, users' blogs that you can uh, you can create your own blog, you can read other people's blogs, you can uh, create a newspaper for yourself that contains all of the stuff that you want to keep up with that's on the network. And you can transfer that content to your portable device so you can have access to it even if you don't have uh, a, a connection to the Internet at the time. So again, it's something that uh, is a lot of fun to explore, and it would take you forever to to look at all the content. But beyond the content, I think the most important part of SamNet is that it is a community. It's a place where people can gather together exchange ideas, meet new people that have their same interests, and just to see what's available. I also think that uh, one of the things that's really cool about uh, about the SAMnet is the the technology behind it, and just because I'm a geek, so <laughs> the uh, the whole thing is that, you know, SAMnet, the backbone of the SAMnet is really our web services. Through the SAMnet, not only do we provide a great community experience, but we also provide uh, a number of web services, which includes everything from Accessible Event, which is what we're using right now to do this very interview, which is an accessible uh, an accessible meeting platform, but also our remote access products, which is uh, considered uh, the things like RIM, which is Remote Incident Manager, and our remote training and support. Uh, also, the the uh, the content distribution model, so that you can download your content from anywhere. Uh, and and have access to it anywhere on the go. Third-party email aggregation. All of these different things. Seesaw, which is our community-supported accessible web project, which does client uh, client-side labeling and and uh, and server-side storage of uh, of labeled web pages that provide people a more accessible uh, internet experience. So really. You know the technology of the SAMnet is very important as well. It's a a huge uh, cloud of of computer services that um, that really no one else in the industry can boast. Um, we've uh, we've we've really got a very robust network uh, that has uh, that has really proven uh, that it can give uh, its users the the kind of the kind of uh, access anywhere, accessibility anywhere that they that they really want, making our services, uh, you know, very ubiquitous. You can get them anywhere you want. And when you, I like to think of our SamNet community kind of as a big city, where you know you can do everything from watch a movie to have a great talk to sit down and read a book or check your email or get the latest information or uh, or get some great work done by collaborating with friends or or colleagues. Um, on uh, on documents and and things like that, so it really is a a whole world all in itself. And because of that, uh, because of the the size uh, of the community and and all of the different features in it, we've actually just uh, instituted a, a new feature called uh, "Did You Know?" And it's not so much a feature as it is kind of a, a service where you can go into your My Account section and turn on "Did You Know?" And every once in a while, as you're kind of cruising around the network. You'll get a uh, you'll get a little uh, a little blurb 
uh, that little audio blurb that says, hey, did you know that you can do this and this and this? And then you'll get a, a pop-up uh, webpage that you can click on and read more information and go to our help section and maybe listen to a demo of how the technology works, read other user, you know, other user comments on the feature or whatever. So it really is kind of building that community environment where, uh, where we're, we're really trying to enhance the user experience by allowing us to vibe off one another instead of just depending on a training center to teach you and say, hey, this is how it works. There you go. Goodbye. You know, we really want to teach people to interact, to intermingle, and kind of the old the old timers to teach the newbies what to do. And that's really what's been working for us very strongly for the last eight years. And in the past year, you guys have really moved into some other areas such as SamNet Radio and you guys produce what I consider one of the leading podcasts in the industry right now. I, I think you raise a great point with Cerro Talk, and and Cerro Talk is a great. It's a fun podcast. We actually were just able to release a uh, uh, our our year end or decade end or however you want to look at it. Our uh, our very self promoting. Uh, documentary. A lot of people have asked us, well, what's the Serotech story? So we just decided, well, we'll tell you. But besides that, the Cero, the Serotech podcast, the Serotech, the tech talks that take place every week, uh, they all provide people information. And if there's one thing that we as blind folks need is information about the world around us that's been disseminated uh, and processed in a way that us as blind folks can can kind of relate to and can understand, not only so we can feed it to each other in a, in a way that we can understand it, not like we speak some sort of a weird language or something, but there is a way to package content for the blind audience that makes things accessible, that makes things redistributable. And we, we want to be that model so that when mainstream uh, product and service providers want to do the same thing for our community, they can. And they can look at a successful company that said, you know what, we don't depend on government. We don't depend on education. We depend on the market that pays us. And that is you, the consumer that's listening to this, uh, to this program right now. You know, it's your money that keeps us alive. It's your wallet that keeps us going. It's your participation and your support that keeps us going. And also will keep going any company that decides to any mainstream company that decides to follow in our footsteps and build a business model that embraces the blind consumer. So Cerro Talk is not just a regular technology podcast or a series of tech talks about very important issues uh, that pertain to the you know the blind the blind person's lifestyle, but it's also kind of almost like a social experiment showing, hey, look, this is this is what it's like. This is a, a real glimpse into the life of a blind consumer, and this is uh, and this is if you want to participate in this life, this is how we've been successful at it. And perhaps uh, if you're a, a mainstream company that wants to get in on the action here, this is the way. Perhaps you should package your products and services. Why don't we have Ricky go ahead and talk to us about uh, the build a bundle options? So, Ricky, why don't you just take us through some of the possibilities? Sure. So um, you can begin at nine ninety five, which is you know pretty much what you would pay to um, to get Wi Fi access in a hotel for a day, and uh, you pay nine ninety five for a month, and you can get a single system access seat. Now that can be something that is installed on your computer, or you can use that to install on a U three smart drive and just carry it with you. Uh, so, going all the way up to twenty nine ninety five, which is five system access seats, 
so uh, you can have you know between one and five licenses, and the most expensive it's going to get is twenty nine ninety five. Then back to the nine ninety five sort of concept, we have uh, Samnet content. Uh, you can get the content like the email and the news and the movies and the community forums that we spoke about earlier. You can get that for nine ninety five, or you can get just remote access to your home computer. Let's say you're out on the road a lot and uh, you want to be able to use your home computer or get information from there. Pay $9.95 a month and you can have that access from anywhere in the world. As long as you have your home machine turned on, you'll be able to access it remotely and get the information that you need. That's $9.95. Then a combination of those two uh, which represents the entire SamNet offering. That's fourteen ninety five a month. Now, for speech synthesizers and that sort of thing, those are one-time purchases. That uh, let's say you want to buy Eloquence for twenty five dollars, you can do that, and uh, it'll be available for you anytime you choose to build a bundle. And actually, I believe that uh, for a, a limited time, Eloquence is actually free when you build a bundle. Is that you correct? got it. Yes, um, that is for a limited time. So depending on when you're listening uh, to this via archive or whatever, it may be $25 or you may be able to get it for free. And what I would say is uh, I, would, I would jump on the free option right now while you can. Well, I'd like to thank you guys for joining us. Um, it's been very enjoyable. I think it's an exciting offering that Serotech has uh, provided. Uh, and I know you guys well enough to know that this will not be the only time in 2010 that you make news. And I suspect we will be talking again before the year is out. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure. And we look forward to being back on and talking about the next exciting thing we do. We, the Main Menu team, would love to hear from you, the listener. You can drop us an email by sending a message to mainmenu at acbradio.org. That's mainmenu.acbradio.org. You can also call the Main Menu comment line at 206-338-7823. That's 206-338-7823. To find out what's coming up each week on Main Menu... Follow Main Menu on Twitter by going to www.twitter.com slash mainmenu. That's www.twitter.com slash mainmenu. You can also find out what's happening on Main Menu by joining the ACB Radio announce list or the ACB Radio friends list. To join the announce list, send a blank message to announce-subscribe at acbradio.org. That's announce-subscribe at acbradio.org. To join the ACB Radio friends list, send a blank message to friends-subscribe at acbradio.org. That's friends-subscribe at acbradio.org. You can subscribe to a weekly podcast of Main Menu shows at http colon slash slash mainmenu.acbradio.org slash rss.php. That's http colon slash slash mainmenu.acbradio.org slash rss.php. Finally, visit the Main Menu website at http colon slash slash mainmenu.acbradio.org. That's http colon slash slash mainmenu.acbradio.org.
Hi, this is Rick, and today I'm going to do a Windows 7 podcast. I did several of these through the first part of the year when Windows 7 was released as a beta back in uh, early January of this year. I did some first looks podcasts and talked about how JAWS was working with the beta, and then uh, once the RC came out, how it was working with that. I've had quite a few requests to do another podcast. Now that uh, Windows 7 is actually out, it came out in uh, October, I believe October 22nd of 2009, So, and JAWS 11 is now out and fully supportive of Windows 7, so I decided to do another podcast here. Hopefully it will be pretty comprehensive. It's going to be directed uh, more or less at the people wanting to upgrade to Windows 7 that really haven't messed with it yet. Uh, Especially those people, say, from XP. I want to talk about the differences between um, XP and Windows 7. For the Vista people out there, the differences aren't so extensive. There are a few things, and I'll talk about those here as we go through the podcast. First of all, there are quite a few versions of Windows 7, just like there were quite a few versions of Vista when it came out. And for more information on these various versions. I'll talk about them a little bit, but for more information and for things that I don't cover on Windows 7 here in this podcast, you can refer to www.windows7.com. That's a site that Microsoft has put out. It's all things about Windows 7. We'll give you all the information you need to know about the various versions of Windows 7. Uh, things you can do with Windows 7, system requirements, um, how to upgrade, and things like that. I'll touch upon a lot of that here, but I may not go into the amount of detail that the website would. Alright, so basically we have Windows 7 Starter, and that's the thing that you're going to see on uh, netbooks and things like that. We have Windows 7 Home Premium, that's what I'm using here. Windows 7 Professional, which is basically the business side of Windows 7. We have Windows 7 Enterprise version, which is the uh, business version of it for very, very large companies. Typically, people like you and I wouldn't be able to uh, purchase this version. And then we have Windows 7 Ultimate Windows 7 Ultimate basically gives you all of Windows Home Premium and all of Windows 7 Professional. So, and maybe a few other things. I'm I'm not sure of uh, everything there. All right, and in addition to that, we have 32 and 64-bit versions of Windows 7. Just like there was for Vista, there also is that for Windows 7. And now JAWS 11, and actually versions of JAWS 10, officially support Vista 64-bit and 
Windows 7 64-bit. What are some of the differences in uh, 32-bit versus 64-bit operating system? Well, basically, one of the biggest things is, is a 32-bit operating system, such as XP, has an address space limit of 4 gigabytes of memory. That's total combined memory addresses in the system between the system and various plug-in cards and things like that. So a lot of you have probably noticed on, say, Windows XP, you've tried to put 3 or 4 gigs into the system, and you found out that XP only reports, so... It could be anywhere as low as 2 gig to, to as high as 3.5 or 3.6 gig. And you wonder, okay, where's all that memory going? Well, what is happening is you have other cards in the system that are plugged in, you know, video cards, things like that that have their own RAM. And that space is being mapped into that 4 gig region. And the amount of actual RAM seen by the OS is, is lowered. So, and this applies also to Vista and Windows 7 if you're running 32-bit versions. So, you never can hit the 4 gig of RAM mark on a 32-gig system. That's the biggest thing. On a 64-bit operating system, such as uh, Vista and Windows 7, the 4 gig barrier is broken. So if you have 6 or 8 gigs of memory on your system, and some people do tend to have this much on their systems anymore, all of that memory is available. Um, Vista 64 and Windows 7 64-bit versions will report this total amount of memory, and it is usable by all of your programs. Another thing is that 64-bit programs can, and I stress this, can execute faster than uh, some 32-bit programs can. Various high memory intensive programs, such as some of the photo editing programs, video editing, maybe some audio editing, things like that, can handle the memory juggling quicker than a 32-bit version can. And you may see some speed increases on certain programs that you'd run on a 64-bit OS. So that's another thing that might make you want to use a 64-bit version of Windows 7. Alright. Upgrading to Windows 7 from XP and Vista. If you're trying to upgrade your system from Vista to Windows 7, it's not much of a problem. Easily done if you want to keep all of your information. And actually, it works pretty good. Microsoft has done a lot of work on the upgrading process. And actually, I've been told that between Vista and Windows 7, the upgrade process actually does a pretty good job. However... If you have an XP system and you want to keep your data intact and you want to upgrade to Windows 7, you're out of luck. Microsoft has decided that you'll have to do a clean installation. And actually, I 
do understand this, and I guess I really would say, you know, most people, you really do need to do a clean installation from one OS to another. Um, it just runs better most of the time, and especially going from XP to Windows 7, you know, that, that's a huge jump. So you need to keep that in mind. Another thing you'll need to keep in mind is, say, um, you wanted to go to 64-bit from 32-bit. The Windows 7 package you'll get comes with a 32-bit disk and a 64-bit disk. If you put the 32-bit disk in, say you're running Vista or XP already and you want to do a clean install, you can do this and, you know, JAWS will speak through the first part of the installation and actually you can kind of do this with outside of the assistance. Problem is, if you try to do this from 32-bit systems and you put the 64-bit disk in, the installer can't run because it's a 64-bit program. So in those cases, if you're going to want to do this, you'll have to boot from the DVD itself and you'll need sighted assistance. So that's just one thing to keep in mind. There are some there there are some automated installation processes just like there were for XP for uh Vista and Windows 7. These use a different approach than was done on XP and unfortunately I really don't know anything about these, but it is possible just like it was in uh Windows 2000 and Windows XP to use a you know an unattended automated script file. And again, I don't have much information on this, but I do know it's possible and, and some people have done this. So you might want to do some googling on that if you're interested in doing that, especially if you're going to put 64-bit on. All right, some of the nice things about Windows 7 when you install it um, driver-wise is that it tends to go out immediately and get any drivers it needs if you you don't have matches to say maybe your sound card or something. Windows 7 is very good about going out and getting these drivers automatically. I've installed here a couple times and didn't have speech initially and had to use a USB sound card but as soon as Windows 7 got up and started running and started doing its thing, you know, I found out real quickly. It went out and actually went to Creative Labs and got the Creative Labs drivers and put them in, and off I was able to go with the sound card. It was very painless, and uh, that's one of the new things about Windows 7, say, over even Vista. Another thing is that Windows 7 has a more automated process of going out and uh, fixing problems it encounters in the operating system and various pro program problems, you know, where you'll get a message that your program has stopped responding or, you know, something like that. Windows 7 will actually go out and try and fix those problems as fixes become available automatically, and you can be notified of those fixes. Some of the things you'll notice going from... Vista to Windows 7 is more stability, faster operation. Um, Microsoft did a lot of work on Windows 7 to streamline it, to make it um, much less resource intensive. Um, as you know, you couldn't run Vista on a netbook. And from what I've been told now, you can easily run 
Windows 7 on a netbook without any problems, even if you're not using the Windows 7 starter, if you're using uh, Home Premium, or even I've heard people using uh, Windows 7 Ultimate on it and not having any problems. So the footprint for Windows 7 is a lot smaller. Um, if you're going from XP to Windows 7, you shouldn't notice much difference of speed on your systems. You may need a little more resources, but uh, you should also notice quite a bit of stability improvements. Um, XP doesn't crash all that much, but um, Vista and Windows 7 have done a lot to improve stability of the operating system, where if a program crashes, you know, it doesn't affect the whole OS. And that's a great thing. So couple of things I need to let you know about if you're upgrading from either, you know, 2000 XP or Vista. One of the big things that has changed is there isn't an email client included in Windows 7. And this has been quite a problem. But there are options out there. You can use Windows Live Messenger that is provided by Microsoft as a replacement for Outlook Express and Windows Mail. It's pretty similar. There are some some differences and accessibility is is a, maybe a little bit lacking in a few places, but from what I've been told, it, it is usable. You could also use Outlook. Um, shouldn't have any problems running Office 2003 or Office 2007 on Windows 7 at all. I'm not sure about earlier than that, say, Office XP or Office 2000. Um, they might run, and then again, I've heard they won't. So, you know, that's just something you'll have to try. But you could use Outlook 2003 or Outlook 2007 for this. And then also there are, you know, other things. You could use um, Thunderbird by Mozilla. You could use... Um, I think there's one called Sea Monkey. Um, there's that other one. Eudora. I think Eudora can still be used even on Windows 7. So there are some options, and you just need to be aware of that when you uh, switch over to Windows 7 that you'll need to come up with an email client. And it's kind of a big deal, but it can be worked with. Um, other things, late, um, versions of JAWS. The latest versions of JAWS 10 will function on Windows 7. There are some things that won't work, like um, access to the system tray, and I've noticed a few other things. But in general, it will work. Official support for Windows 7 comes with um, JAWS 11. And that is supposed to support all parts of the uh, operating system. Also, uh, Windows 7 and System Access and NVDA all support Windows 7 very well shouldn't have any problems uh, regardless of what screen reader you want to use with Windows 7 
Um, changes in accessibility as far as, um, you know, from XP, you know, narrator and, and magnifier and things like that. Um, narrator hasn't changed a whole lot from XP. It, it does do a little bit more. You can change your voice. It does come with a higher quality voice. Um, Microsoft Anna, which was uh, introduced in Vista. One of the new things, if you're a partial, partially sighted user, um, there is a full screen magnifier available now in Windows, and from what I've heard, it works pretty well. So that's something you can look at if you do have some sight. And that's one of the major accessibility improvements that was introduced into Windows 7. Another thing is, is that uh, all parts of the operating system are accessible. There were some, some parts of Vista that definitely weren't accessible. The calendar, the Windows calendar, and that's disappeared. That's no longer in Windows 7 for whatever reason. It wasn't accessible. Network Sharing Center and Vista was very, very difficult to use. You had to JAWS cursor all the time, and it, it was very, very hard to get that to work. Um, that is completely accessible in uh, Windows 7, and I'll show you that here later in the podcast. Um, other things, some of the management stuff, like uh, drive management, uh, in XP and Vista it was hard to do. Um, parts of it weren't as accessible as we'd like them to be. Um, in Windows 7, that that is um, fully accessible as far as I can tell, and I'll talk about that here later in the podcast as well. Now, what we're going to do is I'm actually going to bring up Windows 7 here, and I have the Windows 7 uh, box up and running here. What I'm going to show you first is basically just around the desktop, the start menu, the search, the taskbar, some of the changes to the taskbar, and I'll show you how to do a few new things here. So, all right. First of all, let's just go to the desktop. Windows M. Home. Computer. Rick. Another change that you'll notice from... XP to Windows 7 is that my documents has been changed to documents and computer computer has been changed to my computer when you have these icons on the desktop Rick. your documents folder will be labeled whatever your username is and mine here is Rick computer and in computer, it's just labeled now as computer instead of my computer. So that's a slight difference there. And I'll talk about, for using Windows 7 here in just a bit, how you can get Network. Recycle bin. these various icons back onto the desktop. When you load Windows 7 initially, you only have a recycle bin on your desktop. So I'll show you here later how to do those as well. All right, let's tab around here. Tab, start button. And the start button is the same old start button. I'll, I'll show you the differences here momentarily in the start menu and and the search and things like that. There are quite a few differences. One of the things in Windows 7 that a lot of people were upset about is there is no longer a classic view. So you're going to have to get used to the way 
Vista started doing things, and I'll show you that here in a moment, but in Vista you were allowed to still use a classic view, but in Windows 7 you're no longer allowed to do that. So, All right, let's uh, tab here. Tab, Internet Explorer button. All right, the next thing that we come across on the desktop is the taskbar. And there are quite a bit of differences in the taskbar in Windows 7 over Vista and XP. What they did in Windows 7 is they combined the taskbar with the quick start. So one of the things you'll notice here is when I, I'll write and left arrow through here. Windows Explorer button. Windows Media Player button. Internet Explorer button. Windows Explorer button. Windows Media Player button. These are things that are pinned to the taskbar. And in some ways, this is a little bit more difficult to deal with because you can't tell non-visually what is running and what is pinned. If, if you could see the taskbar, the icons that are actually running or the programs that are actually running have a little bit of a blue border around them and the pinned uh, items here don't. So, And I'm going to show you here in a moment how you can pin things to the taskbar and how you access them quickly. And, uh, all right, let's tab. Tab, safely remove hardware and eject media button. And we're in our notification area, our system tray. JAWS for Windows button. Computer status dash protected button. Solve PC issues called network internet access button. And one of the things I get hung up in on here, and I don't know why, and it's just the way it is, is if you hover over the uh, network icon for more than a second, it, it stops working here, and I have to Windows, Windows M. Desktop, tab, tab, enter, tab, safely remove our job, solved, network, enter, speakers, colon, 30% button, 2.01 p.m. clock. But you have the various things here on your system tray, like you did in uh, Vista and XP and 2000 and so on. I will show you here in just a bit how you get things to display in the in the notification area. It is different than it was for XP and Vista. So I'll show you that here in just a bit, too. Tab, show desktop button. We have the show desktop button here. If you tab again, I'm not sure what it does. There doesn't appear to be any way to get rid of it, but it doesn't appear to do much of anything either, so you can ignore that. Tab, desktop, folder view, list view, recycle bin. And then we're right back up to the desktop. So let's uh, hit the start button here. I'll hit my Windows key. Menu, search box, edit. First thing you'll notice in Windows 7, just like in Vista, you come up into a search box that you can type into. And if you want to do something, you know, real quick, instead of going into the Programs menu here and finding it, if you know what it is, you can just type it real quick. Like if I want to go to Control Panel. C-O-N-T-R-O-L, Creative Audio Control Panel. C, Creative Audio Control Panel. And then I can type so much of it, and I can start arrowing down this list. The first thing it's saying here is Creative Control Panel. Control Panel, C. And then here's our actual operating system control panel. And if that's what I want, all I have to do is hit Enter on it. Enter. Leaving menus. Control Panel. Search box. Edit. 
and the control panel is up. Tab, category button, tab, system and security link. And we're into the control panel, and it's just that simple. Alt F4. You can run... Menu, search box, edit. Lots of things that way. If you know something you want to access, you can just do it that way. And I've used it quite a bit, and I'm growing more comfortable with it. Kind of like the classic view myself, but I am getting quite used to this, and it's not so bad. Okay, here are some of the changes. If you up arrow from the search, all program submenu A. You'll find your all program submenu, and you can right arrow into here and, and go into there. It's kind of just like Vista, and it's it's like uh, all programs in XP, sort of kind of, except it's in a tree view. It doesn't spread out like it did in XP, where it could go off the screen. It's all in just one confined area. All right, if I continue to up arrow, Notepad N. These are things that are pinned to the start menu, and there's a difference between things that are pinned to the start menu and things that are pinned to the taskbar, and uh, I'll show you that here momentarily. Solider S, Magnifier M, Microsoft Security Essential Paint P, Snipping Tool S, Sticky Notes S, Calculator C, Windows Media Center W, Getting Started Submenu G, Search Box Edit. And we've wrapped back around to the search box. All right, if you right arrow from the search box, shut down split button S. You get a shutdown button. If you up and down arrow from here, help and support H, default programs D. You get some more places you can go. Devices and printers D, control panel C, computer C, games G, music M, pictures P, documents D, Rick R, shut down split button S. Yeah, we're back to the shutdown button. And if I right arrow from the shutdown button, Sleep S. we go into options, uh, different options instead of shutting down. Here's sleep. If I up and down arrow through here, switch user W. Can switch user. Log off L. Log off. Lock O. Lock. Restart R. Restart. Sleep S. And we're back to sleep. So then if I left arrow, shutdown split button S. And there you go. So this is a little different, and it takes a bit of getting used to. Search box edit. And I'm back to the search box. If you want to go to all programs. All programs submenu A. Up arrow from there, then you can right arrow into it. Default programs D. Search box edit. Default programs D. Desktop gadget gallery D. Internet Explorer I. Microsoft Security Essentials M. And then we have all of our programs here. Windows Anytime Upgrade, Windows DVD Maker, Windows Fax and Scan, Windows Media Center W, Windows Media Player W. So it takes a bit of getting used to this, but it's not too bad, actually. And if you give it some time and you mess with it, you'll find that even though you don't have a classic view in Windows 7, it's not all that bad. All right, let me escape out of here. Escape, search box edit. Escape, leaving menus, start button. Windows M, Desktop, Folder View, List View, Recycle Bin. All right. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about pinning items to the taskbar and how you get to these. First of all, to access the things on the taskbar that you've pinned to it, we now use the Windows key and 1 through 0. If you hit Windows 
and one you'll activate Internet Explorer if you have Windows 2 will activate Windows Explorer and if you do Windows 3 you'll bring up uh, media player I think these can be unpinned I'm almost I'm almost positive that I'll, I'll check here in a minute but let's say we want to pin something else to the taskbar and this can be anything I'm just going to pick an icon here from the uh, the desktop control panel FS reader JAWS 11 FS reader 2.0 and we'll just choose FS reader say we wanted to be able to activate that real quick from anywhere I hit my application here my application key here after I've selected this icon. Applications, context menu, oh, open, troubleshoot, com, open file loc, run as admin, scan with Microsoft's pin to taskbar, hey. And you'll come to pin to taskbar. I hit enter here. Enter, leaving menus, folder view, list view, FS Reader 2.0. Alright, now let's tab to the taskbar. Tab, start button. Tab, Internet Explorer button. Okay, and we'll right arrow through here. Windows Explorer button. And there's you know internet explorer and windows explorer windows media player button windows media player and you see here one two three um, so you can kinda remember these after you start doing it fs reader 2.0 button and there's fs reader 2.0 internet explorer button and we've wrapped back around so alright let's just say I want to run the fs reader here real quick I'm in something if I hit now if I hit Windows 4. Windows 4, FS Reader dash untitled, preview. It just comes right up. And I could be anywhere. I could be in another program or whatever and just bring that right up just like that. All right. Now let's say... FS Reader dash untitled, Alt F4. Let's say that we didn't want this pen to the taskbar any longer. What you can do is just Windows M. go find it. View, JAWS 11, FS Reader 2.0. And here it is on the desktop. Now, if I hit my application key again and arrow down through here, Applications, troubleshoot, open, run as a scan with my unpin from taskbar. Hey. Then now I have an unpin from taskbar. And if I hit enter here, enter, leaving menus, folder view, list view, FS Reader 2.0. And I go back to the taskbar. Tab, start the tab, Internet Explorer button. Windows Explorer button, Windows Media Player button. And I'm right arrowing through these. Internet Explorer button. You don't hear FS Reader anymore. Windows Explorer button, Windows Media Player button, Internet Explorer button. And it's just that easy. That's all you have to do to pin something to the taskbar to, to be able to run it quickly. And that's that's pretty simple. And that's, that's nice and handy to have for things that you want to launch quickly, things that you use all the time. That concludes this edition of Main Menu. We trust you've enjoyed the program. On behalf of Jeff Bishop and the entire Main Menu team, I'm Jamie Pauls wishing you and yours a great week.